the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing the fastest man alive and a pair of breakout third basemen. But before we get into the baseball chatter, Eno, is it true that this other sport called football is beginning its season tonight? I've never heard of that sport. I didn't think so. I mean, to us... I think the only sport that actually exists is baseball. No such thing as throwing around this oval-shaped ball that's brown in color and people hitting each other on the field. That, that sounds kind of violent, doesn't it? <laughs> I hear their, uh, their veterans uh, have brains like mush, too. Yeah, and it's the baseball players that have the highest IQ uh, among all sports, actually. <laughs> or at least retain retain their ability to tie their shoes into old age. This is true. So, uh, as usual, we need a status update from you. Where are you, and are there any good interviews that we could look forward to reading about? Uh, I'm at the Giants D-backs, and today I talked to Brandon McCarthy, uh, who admitted that his changeup was no good. That was kind of funny. But he's a sabermetrics guy, so he must always be a really good insightful interview it was it was definitely fun to talk to him and and we talked mostly about the fact that he was trying to do a split finger this year and ditched it because it wasn't very good and uh even though it had some it had some promise he couldn't deal with it in season so um might be something he works on in the off season but um he uh he was definitely fun to talk to i talked to brad ziegler which is great because he's he's a submariner and i asked him about you know is the the action on your pitches, they're, they're different. You know, like if he throws a slider, it looks different because it's coming not only from a different space, but from a totally different angle. I mean, he's releasing it sideways. So um, I talked to him about what his pitches look like. So basically his curveball looks like a slider uh, and stuff like that. Uh, I assume and- the question did not come up, hey, Brad, when are you going to lose your closer job? You can't get lefties out. Well, you know... I hate to, you know, people ask me this too. Do your interviews, uh, are they just noise? Are they, you know, are, are they like keeping us from appraising these players because the, the players tell us, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and we, we believe them. Um, so I, I hope I, I'm not falling into that again. But Ziegler was talking about his changeup and he said he's worked in this changeup all offseason and that he's been throwing it this year, that he likes the pitch. He throws it to righties as well and that uh, he thinks it's working. Um, so, I mean, he still does have like a, a 50, 50, 55% ground ball rate against, um, lefties. So maybe even though the walk rate's higher, maybe he can actually do it. I don't know. He could be one of the rare submariners. Not a lot of submariners throw changeups. So, um, you know, I don't know. I hate to, hate to fall in love with the interview subject again, especially, um, one as, uh, sort of disastrous looking as Brad Ziegler, but, <laughs> But uh, anyway, that'll be the last time I talk about a, a player's physical looks on this program, <laughs> I hope. 
All right, one last thing before we get to our regularly scheduled programming. I love looking through your chat because the questions that you get are hilarious. But one of them asked you, have you considered a rap career? And I wasn't sure if that was a subtle hint that maybe our rap intro was not that good. And he was kind of suggesting that you take over and you record an intro for us. Uh, actually, I, I began my chat with a rap that was really, really terrible. Um, so we had a very rap-based chat today, uh, mostly because everybody else's raps were better than mine, and uh, I don't know what I was thinking starting with that rap, but uh, you know, sometimes you just, uh, from sleep deprivation, or I'm going to blame it on the baby, I guess. Well, we've now learned the many sides of Eno, not just a writer, but maybe a future rapper. <laughs> All right, so let's move along to our most interesting player alive today, our choice for the most interesting player alive. Number third in the search for player ratings is Billy Hamilton. Finally, he's called up. And how cool was the Reds fans' reaction to him pinch running and then succeeding? What I think the coolest thing is is that the Reds fans know they're not just casual fans because you have to be a pretty serious fan to know who Billy Hamilton is. I bet most casual fans wouldn't, but I mean the whole the whole stadium was standing up and cheering for him, and that's just awesome. Yeah, and I really like just how mono mono it was. I mean, you know, the, here's the guy who's got sort of legendary wheels, and he's up, and you know, the pitcher knows that he wants to to steal the base, and he pretty much knows he's gonna go, and and the pitcher's still was sort of like a deer in headlights, and still. Could, couldn't do anything about it. I mean, I think that's another thing that people were reacting to is not only, you know, a nice prospect coming up and playing, but this, like, you know, uh, steel against steel or whatever, steel sharpened steel moment where, you know, everyone knows he was going to go for it. He went for it, and he got it anyway. Yeah, I mean, at this point for the rest of the season, he's basically going to be a pinch runner. Obviously, he's not going to start in center field over Chu. He doesn't play the infield anymore, and obviously they're not going to throw him at shortstop. Otherwise, they would have already done that since they uh, have Cozart there, who isn't exactly an offensive monster, and he's not going to play second like he used to, who's a Brendan Phillips. So he's basically a pinch runner, and we've never, ever had a discussion and really debated whether a pinch runner could actually earn fantasy value. But here we are, Billy Hamilton. What is the shallowest league you would think that he could earn positive value and you would pick him up in? Uh, 30 team. Did you say 30 or three? 30. Really? That deep? You don't think, I mean, if you are close in steals and even a 12 team league, and you can probably plug him in into the middle infield slot because he did play that last year, depending on your league uh, position eligibility rules, you don't think if you're close in steals and run scored that he can contribute enough in those categories to offset Potential losses in home runs and RBIs? He's just... He's going to be a zero. <laughs> I know. And, and that's the funny thing that we're actually having this debate. Because I think that he could steal enough bases to offset the negative value produced by zero home runs and zero RBIs. Let's take my home league team, for example. I'm first in home runs by about, let's say, eight or so. I could technically lose in home runs, but I can't lose more than that one point. And, and steals are relatively close. 
So I think that Billy Hamilton would be able to gain me more points in steals than I can lose in home runs and RBIs. And so I think there are situations in shallower leagues where I think Hamilton can do that for you and that he might actually gain you net positive points. Yeah. It's you crazy. Know, but that's a very specific sure. situation. Though. I think, I think you know, when I hear sort of uh, positive value, I'm thinking, you know, what's his production value? Like, what's, what is he going to produce across all five categories? And in that case, I would say, you know, he's going to be minus, 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 positive, positive, minus. And, um, and that, that seems like it's a hard way to, to come up with value that's above replacement. However, in the sort of situations you're talking about, for sure, for sure he can be used. And so, therefore, I guess that means he has positive value in most leagues to somebody. You know, so there is somebody out there that can use him. Yeah, it's definitely context-dependent on your team. And uh, I would say that definitely in a daily transaction league or a head-to-head league where you know if you need steals to beat your opponent for the week, you can plug him in. And then if you have a big steals lead, you can just bench him. So I Yeah, think, guys, like late, late in the week, the, everything changes late in the week when all you need is one category. So, Right. Um, yeah, I, I can see that. And, and it is worth noting that he's been in two games and he has two stolen bases. So. And two runs scored. So he could really... You know, give you three or four stolen bases a week, even if he only gets into four games a week. Can you can you imagine though if he steals like twenty five bases in the month? How crazy <laughs> is that? Be? Like, is that really so far fetched? If he pinch runs like every game and steals a base, twenty five ba- that, and I'm sure he'll get a start here and there. I'm sure he's not going to be a strict pinch runner. They've got to get him some start. They've got to get him some at bats. So I can't believe. You know what I can't believe is that they don't do some sort of defensive replacement thing with him where. When they're up by more than two or three runs in the seventh inning, they take two and either put him in the corner or, or take him out of the game because um, he's got to be better than defensively than Chu. Chu is terrible defensively. Yeah, so, um, I'm thinking of the the where they are in the lineup and whether Chu would get up again. But if Chu is not going to get up again, they probably would rather have him pinch run. Otherwise, he's not going to have the opportunity to pinch run if he's uh, right. defensive replacement. Yeah, that could get complicated, but um, yeah, I mean that that could be another thing. If Chu comes up in a game that they're winning in the seventh inning, and Chu gets a hit, then then they pinch run and then they put him out there, and then maybe it turns into such a blowout that Hamilton actually gets another at bat or whatever. So, I mean, I would say that I'd I'd give him, uh, you know, let's say there's probably about 20 games left. I'd give him uh, something like 20 plate appearances, maybe. Over the course of the season. And 40 steals. <laughs> <laughs> 20 plate appearances and 10 steals. Well, yeah. I mean, if he only did that, then he probably isn't worth it. But I mean, so far, given what he's done, I, I feel like there's more upside than, than 10 steals. It, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see and then extrapolate that over a full season. And speaking yeah. of a full season, Chu is a free agent after this year. And after the year that he's had, he's in for a major payday. I don't know if the Reds are going to re-sign him. And do you think that Billy Hamilton, the center field job, would be his next year? And he's going to be one heavily hyped uh, sleeper coming into the season, I would, I would think. I, I do think so because I do think that Billy Hamilton will be the, uh, the center fielder next year. Just because, you know, even if they re-sign Chu, if, if uh, Ludwig is a free agent, they can always move Chu to the corner, which I think would be a better idea. So 
I did think I just think that there are going to be fewer center fielders out on the market. They're not going to get in on Ellsbury. Um, and uh, so if they sign an outfielder, they'll probably make him a corner outfielder and, uh, and, and stick Hamilton in center. And I think that, uh, you know, people were bellyaching about his defense. And obviously he was learning it this year. But I don't think that um, I don't think that he can't do center. I mean, he's he's so fast that even if he doesn't get great reads on, on, on things, he's can, he can outrun a couple of mistakes. Uh, I, I would like him a lot better offensively if his walk rates from 2012 stuck, uh, because then he would be a legitimate future leadoff guy. But of course, Dusty Baker, it's pretty clear he doesn't look at on base percentage, and Billy Hamilton's fast. So if he does get the job next year, Billy Hamilton will probably blindly be put into the leadoff spot, which obviously would be really nice for his value, but I don't know if he necessarily belongs there. I mean, is this basically a future Juan Pierre? In Pierre's peak when he was a 60 steel guy. Yeah, I mean, I really think so. But it might be Pierre plus in terms of uh, stolen base speed. I mean, it might be 70, 80 steals. And, you know, if he does it at a high enough volume, he can probably add his, give his team some sort of hidden value, even sabermetrically. I think um, he can probably make up for some other flaws. If he, if he steals 80 and gets caught 10 times, that's, that's still a lot of value. All right, let's talk about Garrett Cole because you had a, a good article on him, I, I don't remember, this morning, yesterday morning, one of these mornings. It was, what, today, September 5th? That's today. Yeah, this morning. And uh, the whole philosophy about, and I think I remember also seeing one of your tweets talking about it's clear from his stuff, he's got strikeout stuff, and it just hasn't actually translated to strikeouts. And we saw that this year at AAA. Previously, he had good strikeout rates, always was striking out over a batter per inning, and that suddenly disappeared. So I'm actually curious why this has changed. Because I can understand the philosophy in terms of ground balls versus strikeouts, but it seems like that's changed and it didn't used to be that way, just judging by his strikeouts historically. Yeah, uh, I wonder about that too, but um, I don't know how long uh, the Pirates have been preaching this uh, philosophy uh, in terms of ground ball rate um, and, and fastballs. I mean, I guess maybe he, Cole made it sound like they've been telling him his whole life to, um, to, uh, to, to get ground balls and throw the fastball a lot. Um, so I guess they've been telling him that. You know, it can also just be who he faced. You know, the first time he saw AAA, he only, he only had six innings, so... Uh, if you disregard that that strikeout rate, you've got a nine uh, a one strikeout per inning in Double A, and then you've got uh, six strikeouts per nine in Triple A. That's not a crazy. Uh, that doesn't suggest to me that he necessarily changed his uh, his philosophy. And then also you have to think about uh, little adjustments that pitchers make within seasons, uh, with you know beginning to, to end, because Cole himself uh, used to throw, and this was in my piece, he used to throw the fastball 77 percent of the time. And now he's throwing the fastball 67% of the time, and it's all been more slider usage, which has meant more strikeouts. And uh, so he's there is some give to the, the pirate philosophy of ground balls and fastballs. Um, but uh, what I think we're seeing the beginning of it because uh, not only is Cole's slide up good and get gets whiffs, but Cole's uh, changeup. Uh, Hold just, on, you just call it a slide up? I, I, I meant, that was a mistake. His slider is a uh, is a good <laughs> slider, and it, it's good. It, it gets whiffs. But his, uh, his changeup is really good, too. So I think once he starts throwing the changeup a little bit more, we'll see even more whiffs. Well, now I'm just imagining what a slide-up might be. 
And I think that would be an, a pretty interesting pitch. Yeah, I don't think it's possible. I, I kind of want to see a gif of that. <laughs> well, if you look at Garrett Cole's monthly splits, his strikeout rate is really being brought down by his first month in June when he only struck out 11 batters in 24 and a third innings. Since then, though, his strikeout rate has been around 20 21%, which is good. Not amazing or anything, but good and, and better than the 18% if you look on the whole season. So his strikeout has improved, and uh, I'm really liking this character. I mean, he's got very good control. He clearly has the type of stuff that a strikeout rate spike in the future could certainly happen, and he gets a lot of ground balls. And, and that's exactly what we look for in a pitcher. So this is a guy who I really like. And normally, what do you do here when you're projecting young pitchers whose stuff suggests a higher strikeout rate, but it hasn't necessarily happened yet? Do you maybe project a slight increase, but not all the way, acknowledging that a big surge could happen, but you, you want to be a bit conservative? Or, or do you just basically go with what he's been doing and say, when he shows the higher strikeout rate is when I'm going to project it? Well, I mean, his, his yearly strikeout rate is 18% now. And, um, and, and what he was doing in the last couple of months is 21%. I might, if, the, if that gap was bigger, I might, um, you know, say, well, let's, let's just talk about what he's done. But since, um, since he's been striking out people at 21% for a little bit and 21% is close to the league average, uh, I feel like it's, uh, it's safe to say that uh, 21% is a good number, I think, to project him for next year and, and for the rest of the season, actually. So I like that. And I think that uh, I agree with you. I like him a lot, and I and I think he's actually a prime buy low because I think he's a high floor, um, decently high ceiling guy. I think he's a high floor, high ceiling guy, which is I think a great combo because the high floor is what he's doing now. He's um, got a good ground ball rate. He's not going to give up a ton of homers. He's got good control, and maybe he won't give you um, a great strikeout rate. But then the high ceiling is that he turns he turns all those pitches into strikeouts. Yeah, and plus. He's on the Pirates, and yeah, they're doing well this year, but they're still not a big market team, and the perception is, as a Pirates pitcher, isn't going to go for a lot in a fantasy league, and they're typically undervalued, and I think Cole is being a bit overshadowed by Matt Harvey, Jose Fernandez, and so I think there is a chance that he could be undervalued heading into drafts next year, as he hasn't had as flashy a season, even though it's been plenty good, and his record is 6-7. and seven. And and so I, I think there's a chance here that he could be really good next year and uh, provide his owners with a profit. All right, let's move along from a young, legit, hyped rookie to another type of rookie, and that's Chris Colabello. I don't think we've ever discussed him, but he is a really interesting case. He's 29 years old. He played independent baseball for seven seasons from 2005 to 2011. What do we do about players like this? Does he basically break the projection systems? Yeah, it's the Evan Gaddis problem, though. Really, I mean, it's it's uh, you're looking at a 29 year old and double or 28 year old in double A, you know, playing against 23 year olds, and it's pretty hard to take that uh, take those numbers and run to the bank with them. So, uh, kind of feel like it's really hard to predict. Um, I might I might predict a, a high uh, jump in strikeout rate from the from AAA to the majors, and that's what he's kind of showing right now. Um, 
And I and I think that on some level he might be a fringe major leaguer. Yeah, I mean we've always heard the term a quad A player for a guy who's too good for AAA but not good enough for the majors. And I, I hate that blanket term because it doesn't really describe why that is. But if he qualified, then Chris Colabello would be leading baseball in swinging strike percentage with uh, 0.1% worse than Pedro Alvarez. So this is not that surprising. You take a guy who's had limited professional experience, he's way older than the competition, and it's, it shouldn't be that surprising that he's, he's whiffing uh, a ton in baseball. But he is showing pretty good power. But 35% homer per fly ball ratio is crazy. Hitting a ton of ground balls, though, his batted ball distribution is weird. Not what you would expect from a power hitter. Not hitting a whole lot of line drives, popping it up a lot, and hitting a lot of grounders. I mean, it's basically the swing of a guy that's like, this is not a major leaguer, when you combine that as well with the high strikeout rate. Yeah, that 62% ground ball rate is, is a little worrisome. Uh, and it's kind of hard to you can't sustain a 35% home run for fly ball rate so I mean it's one of those guys that maybe you catch lightning a bottle but I mean nothing go into it I think he's a he's like a deep league warm body kind of guy right now yeah I mean there's probably not a long term future here right yeah I, I don't see it I mean there's a reason why people talk about scouting pedigree and stuff like that and, and, and age at level and I mean, he was he was in the uh, WBC, and you know it was a nice story, but um, uh, you know I don't think I, I think he might hit 260 with league average power, and and you know not really have a defensive position. Yeah, well, with the trade of Justin Morneau, obviously the Twins are now without a first baseman, and so Colabello is playing first base, but. They mentioned Joe Maurer, finally, it might be time to move him to first base. So I don't think it would surprise anybody, given their situation, that Joe Maurer is the Minnesota Twins' first baseman next year. Would you, uh, Especially with this concussion issue that might actually end his season. Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah, that is an interesting thing that that might happen. Man. And it might happen sooner rather than later. I, I think that they'll probably at least go into next season with Maurer, catcher, and I guess Colbell at, at, at first. But... Um, you know, uh, that's probably happening sooner rather than later, the Maurer thing. He just keeps getting injured. All right, let's talk about two breakout third basemen. And for one of these guys, I use the term breakout slightly loosely. It depends on what your definition of breakout. Uh, perhaps you think last year was a breakout. And that's Kyle Seeger is one of the guys, and Josh Donaldson is the other. Two AL West third basemen having extremely similar years. They're both hitting for power, about 20 home runs and change, both hitting for batting average, hitting in the middle of their respective lineups. And they're both young, and they both weren't really hyped guys heading into the season. Who do you like better for next season? You know, I watched Josh Donaldson take a lot of batting practice. Um, and if you look at his, his stats, there is – there does seem to be maybe a little power upside remaining. He, he's definitely one of these slow warmer types where he struggles a little the first time at a level and then he kind of takes off. Um, so I think in a peak year, he could he could scrape 30 homers. Um, I mean, we're, there are some years down in the minor leagues where he, he had 200-plus ISOs. So um, 
you know, there's a little bit left in him. I'm not sure there's a ton of, I mean, he's like 28 or something. There's not a ton of like, quote-unquote projection left. But I do think there's probably a peak season uh, that might even look better than the one he's in. Uh, Seeger is younger uh, and steals bases, um, which is, uh, a, that's two things that are in his favor. So he's, he's got two more years of power projection, as we normally think of it, uh, left in him. And he, and he steals, a, you know, a few more bases than Donaldson. So I think, you know, strictly speaking, I'd have to put, um, Seager ahead in, in fantasy rankings, but, um, I like them both. And I traded for Donaldson in the keeper league because I, I totally believe in his season. I picked up Josh Donaldson basically blindly early on in my labor mixed league. And it was basically one of those, oh, he's playing. I need a player. Okay, I'll pick him up. Who knew that he would actually sustain this type of season and and produce for me all year long? So that's been awesome. I like – I think you basically said it. I like Donaldson's power potential in the future better than Seager's. Seager's power mostly comes from the fact that he hits fly balls at over a 40% rate, whereas Donaldson is more of a league average batted ball profile. But Donaldson's batted ball distance is nearly nine feet more than Seager's, which is pretty significant. I mean, Seager's distance is just barely above league average. So it, it's mostly the fly ball rate that's helping him out there. And, uh, and that's probably sustainable because that's just his swing. But I, I think you're right. It's the prospect of steals from Seager that probably puts him over the edge, but only slightly. I think these two are very close because it's basically, do you want the power upside of Donaldson or do you want the steals from Seager? And, and for what it's worth, um, I actually trust Donaldson's swing to produce a better batting average in the future uh, because what you, what you mentioned about Seager is that he hits more fly balls than ground balls, and that does help him with the power. But it doesn't. I mean, that's why he hit 259 the last couple of years. So um, I think that you know I, I trust Donaldson for for uh, batting average a little bit better, um, and I might actually take him because you you know we're we're talking a lot about Seager's stolen bases, but he's going to end this year with like eight, and if you know he's only going to get slower as he gets older. So if he steals five next year and Donaldson steals like two or three, that's just not a big deal. Yeah, then it's just going to come down to the power. And I think Donaldson is just a better hitter. I mean, his walk rate is better. I think he has a better chance of hitting in the middle of the lineup, whereas I don't think Seager is a number three hitter. I think he's basically there just because they don't really have much better options now. But I think he's closer to maybe he's a number two guy or a number five guy. I think Donaldson is more of a, a middle-of-the-order guy, and, and I think – have the Athletics scored more runs than the, the Mariners? They're, they're probably pretty close. So I don't well, know. Uh, I mean, Seager's at 75, 64 and runs an RBI. And Donaldson's Donaldson, better. Nope. 70, 80. Yeah, Donaldson's uh, more better. RBI, more RBI. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think I might have talked myself into Donaldson here. Yeah, I mean, the, the bottom line is that it's very, very close. And I think we basically believe in both breakouts. It's just a matter of who has more upside but for the most part, I don't think either of these two are flukes, and we can reasonably expect similar production next year. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And for all that I said about believing Donaldson's average more, it's uh, it's Donaldson that's had lower batting averages in the past. So, um, you know, it's not they they could, you, this could be believable from both of them. And they could both hit 260, 270 next year, 
you know, just because that's how baseball is. So, But I do believe that they're both hitting more than 20 homers next year and steal a handful of bags and play enough to give you good runs in RBI. That, that sounds to me like not a top-tier third baseman, but it's definitely top 10, top 12 third baseman. Yeah, and it's crazy when you look at their batted ball distributions. They're almost identical, even when you include home run per fly ball. The only difference is you can reverse the ground ball fly ball and go from Donaldson, and then you have Seager. Everything else is almost a mirror image. And I'll take the guy who hits more ground balls, especially if he has power. I just There's something about that kind of swing that I think leads to more line drives. Yeah, definitely good for batting average. As Joey Votto, we are very familiar with him and his distribution leading to a humongous BABIP. All right, let's stay on the athletics and talk about an older man, the 33-year-old Coco Crisp, who I guess has decided that his waning speed, he was going to offset that, maintain his fantasy value by becoming a power hitter. 18 home runs. What is going on with Coco Crisp? He had five home runs in August. He had actually... Five home runs in April as well, and four home runs in June, and already three in September. I mean, what? and he only has 17 steals this year. So the question is now, what do we expect from him next year? Is he going to be more of a power guy, and are we not going to expect the speed to rebound? Yeah, it's, it's been really weird watching it. Um, he, he's definitely... He's definitely going for it because he's hitting the most fly balls of his career. So there's been a there's been a change to his swing in a way. And I think I think I've noticed him yanking um, yanking sort of inside pitches and and uh, and uh, kind of doing the pull thing. But um, I don't know why he's stolen less, except that he's had issues with his legs, you know, in terms of his health this year. And uh, that's uh, that's just going to happen because he's. Uh, He's uh he's getting older, and I think also he's gonna do that thing where he's he's good when he's in the lineup, but he misses more and more time. So, you know, if I did a back of the envelope, uh, you know, uh, sort of pencil projection for him next year, I'd probably say, you know, he hits around 260 most years. So I'd say 260, 15 homers, 20 stolen bases. Yeah, I mean, he's had a weird career because when he was younger, when speed is usually at its best. He was basically a 20, 25 speed, uh, stolen base guy. Then all of a sudden, he goes to the athletics, and he's a 40 to 50 steal guy when he's in his early 30s. You don't see that. So that's kind of weird. So the fact that he only has 17 steals, we forget that he used to be a 20 steal guy. And now at 33, maybe he's back to being more normal. The other interesting thing, if you look at his infield hit percentage, which I think is a good proxy for speed, it's at nearly a career low. So that is pretty much a speed stat. If you're fast, you're going to get a higher percentage of infield hits than if you're slow and plodding. Um, and so I think that's another hint that maybe his speed truly is waning. If you look at his SPD score, they're below six for the first time since 2005. So, yeah, I think his days of 30 steals is over, and you can reasonably project him. He's now a 20-steal guy. And, and, the reason, and the reason I think that we can even project him for 20 as his wheels go is that, you know, we've seen the article from Jonah that was such an excellent piece where he showed that, um, from Jonah Carey, where he showed that Coco Chris was telling him all the different tells that uh, pitchers have. And uh, recently we were at a game. He stole a pitch. He stole a, a base on Alex Cobb. He was halfway to second base before Alex Cobb threw the pitch. I mean, it was 
it was laughable. Um, and he, he just really timed Alex Cobb and figured it out really quickly. So uh, I think that he's really smart right now and he really knows what he's doing, but um, he's just battling like injuries, battling old age and um, trying to get the most out of his, out of his package. You know, and even a 260, you know, 1520 or 2020, um, that's, uh, that's, that's usable. You know, that's an interesting, you know, it's probably a five outfielder kind of outfielder, but, um, you know, even if it's a three outfield as a util, I, I, I think he's, he's draftable in all leagues. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in daily transaction leagues, so you can just bench him when he's not in the lineup because you know, he's always going to have his nicks and bruises and, uh, especially in a deeper bench when you have to deal with his injuries and you need to replace him. He certainly has his value. And I think that says a lot that he's clearly a very smart base runner, and yet he still only attempted 21 steals this year. That just suggests to me either just battling injuries or his speed is waned and he knows he just doesn't have it like he used to, and so he's just not going to steal as often and risk getting caught. All right, let's talk about another breakout player, and that's Jason Castro. You were actually asked in your chat today, how high do you have Jason Castro ranked next season? And he's an interesting case because we look back at Jose Bautista. The year before he had his big home run breakout, in September, he posted a 349 isolated slugging and 10 home runs in September. Jason Castro, last September, a 269 ISO and four home runs. And all of a sudden the thinking is, oh, now let's look into September breakouts, maybe pretending a next season breakout. And then Jason Castro carried that over into spring training. He was tied for ninth with six home runs, posting a 465 isolated slugging. And sure enough, he's on his way to a breakout season along with 20 home runs. So what do you make yeah. of this whole September breakout and then Jason Castro specifically? You know, I actually use it a little bit in basketball because I do play a little fantasy basketball. And I and I actually use it mostly for in basketball for minutes played because I want to see, um, you know, coaches that are that are playing guys more in the, in the in the end of the season because that's probably who they'll remember they played the most and who they'll play the most in the next season. Um, I don't know that we have the same – uh, sort of ability to do that in baseball because, uh, for one, uh, end season power numbers are always higher. Um, you know, as the temperature gets warmer, the ball flies more. So and the third uh, down pitching staffs also you probably have to include. Yeah, so there's some of that, and also some some minor leaguers coming up. So uh, I and also just you know slicing any any power sample down is, is problematic just because power you want the biggest sample you can get to to identify it. So um, I don't know about that, but you, what you could really do, I think, is you could look at late season uh, batted ball changes because Jason Castro told us that he's trying to hit more fly balls. So if he was trying to hit more fly balls, um, if he was trying to hit more fly balls late last season, and that uh, and that was the change, you know, then then we can believe it. You know, I'd rather look at that than ISO or whatever. Um, and he and he said he was trying to hit more fly balls, so maybe. Uh, and he is hitting them. So, if that, if, you know, monthly splits for uh, ground ball fly ball rates, I believe a little bit more. You know, his batted ball distance is up 21 feet from last year. And I actually have a thought of what happened. His strikeout rate is way up this year. His swinging strike rate is way up. His contact percentage is way down. So it looks like maybe he's consciously decided to tap into his power, swing harder, swing for the fences, 
and tap into that power. And we see that a lot of conscious change in approach, sacrificing contact for more power. And that's what we're seeing here. I mean, we it's speculation, obviously. We don't know for sure if that's what he did. But we do see this, and it does match up. And now the question is, is he going to repeat that and do that again next year? We don't know. But it suggests to me that given the, the strikeout rate increase, the increased power, the increased batted ball distance, that that all legitimizes and validates what he's doing this season at the very least. Yeah, I think if you took um, you know, the, the statistical approach, or at least with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, the projection systems are doing, is that you can actually see that he has moved the needle on his power projections a little bit and that um, his full season projections now have above average ISO. So uh, I think if you took his full season projections, he's still like uh, maybe like a 15 home run hitter, even, you know, next year. Um, and that's, I think, I think that's a good baseline to, to project him as a sort of a 260, 15 home run guy. And then, you know, then you won't be as disappointed if he regresses some. But the thing I also like about him is that he has a beautiful Joey Votto-esque batted ball profile. Tons of line drives, avoids the pop-up. He's only popped it up two times this year. That's Votto-esque. I mean, there's nobody who's Votto-esque because he has like zero pop-ups or one pop-up. But that's almost. And he hits a, a couple of more ground balls and fly balls. I, I, this is the exact recipe for a high BABIP and basically supports the 357 BABIP. So he could, even with the high strikeout rate, maintain a better-than-replacement level batting average for a catcher. So, I mean, he's, aside from steals, a potential four-category guy at a shallow position. And I think he's pretty much a lock for a top-10 projection at catcher next year. Uh, yeah, I mean, think, I think even though I, you know, my muted 260-15 is definitely a top 12. Um, you know, anybody who can hit double-digit homers and not embarrass you in batting average is uh, a top 12 catcher pretty much. <laughs> so, I mean, I would think that that would be sort of a baseline there with upside from there. And giving his knee troubles that he's had, that's probably what you want to pay for. And then anything else would be just gravy. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.